Welcome to worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on July 18th, 2021. Continuing the summer psalm series, Pastor Ram Dias dives deeper into Psalm 23 by exploring a gospel example of worshiping God through the darkest of valleys in Acts 16 in this sermon titled, Don't Waste the Rotten Banana.
change us today. Bring us to you. Make us more like you. We lay all of our sins, all of our shortcomings at your feet. We know that you've already carried them away. You've already defeated them, Lord. And help us just be aware of that and awe of that this morning. Remembering that your grace is more than enough. It's everything we need. And we have you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good, good. 
I would say I would not, I'm not tired, but I would be alive. So, but God's grace is enough, it's sufficient. Uh, This is literally my favorite time of our service, a time of renewal, a time we're saying, hey, God, we need your grace again. We need the gospel, we need to be renewed. Um, even the guy up here with the mic, right, and might say, you're, you're a pastor. No, I need grace. If anything, having a baby has taught me, having kids has taught me how sinful I actually am. It exposes my sin and need for his grace. So I would draw your attention to this, our, our scripture for the renewal, which comes from Psalm 51. David's famous Psalm where he's crying out uh, for forgiveness, where he says in Psalm 51, 9 through 13, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will change transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So we're just going to take a time now. A silent prayer of confession. And I'm just going to ask you, be honest. Why would we come to God any other way? To be honest with your week. To be honest maybe even with your morning. (laughs) And just bring your sin to a God that is willing. His grace is enough. He's willing to redeem heal and restore. So let's take a time of silent prayer and confession. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Lord, I love the part of David's prayer where he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I, I do pray that for us this morning, that you would renew in us the joy of our salvation, renew in us a, a delight in giving what Jesus has done. That anything that we just brought up to you right now, God, that your grace is sufficient to cover. That there is not sin that Christ has not died for. And so, Lord, I pray that we would rest in your grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, fix our eyes on the glory and the majesty of who you are, God. This is your place, so we pray you just fill it down with your spirit. Stir in us affection for you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, people, God, hear the promise of the assurance of our heart, which comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen. And now let's continue uh, as we sing a hymn in response to this well.
job area. I know that's hard without Chad. Again, it's just so good to be together. Um, and I know many of you have asked, how's Laura? How's the baby? They're, they're healthy. They're doing great. Even though the baby was up from like 11 to like 2.30 last night. So you just pray for Laura. Um, but no, thank you for your prayers, thank you for the support, thank you for that meal training going on. It's just, it is, it's, it's just phenomenal the support uh, you guys have given to us since we've been here. Um, so just thank you, uh, seriously, thank you. Uh, well, if you have your, if your Bible, and I hope you brought one, uh, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter sixteen. And now you're like, Rim, what in the world? Like you've made it two weeks into the summer songs, and we're already going to Acts. What's What's the deal? Well, um, yes, uh, because um, we're going to, last week we looked at Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and remember I said, I almost wanted to skip Psalm 23 because it's so famous, but then I had Brian Chappell in the back of my mind saying, hey, don't skip famous passages. They're famous for a reason. Uh, and so we dove into Psalm 23, and, um, you know, verse 4, though, that's the verse that's probably one of the most popular when you look at the Psalter, and it's that verse of, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would fear no evil, because you're with me, you're riding, you're staffing, comfort me. And so we, I briefly touched on the valley, I briefly touched on suffering, um, and I thought I would just expound that a little more. Um, I thought I would expound that verse by looking at a passage where Paul and Silas are actually going through a serious trial, and we're going to learn from them um, about how they're uh, going through that. But, so, hang out. I know you're like, where am I? I love the Psalms. This has been great. Don't worry. We're diving in deep next week in Psalm 32. Again, one of David's famous Psalms of dealing with confession. And, and so, uh, and then we're going to be in Psalm 100 the week after that. So, hang on. But Acts 16 is where we're at. And we're kind of picking up in a weird spot. You know, this is a kind of a weird break. Um, but... For the sake of time, uh, I didn't want to preach all of Acts 16, 11 through 34, but so we're just going to be looking at 25 through 34. Uh, and so, just to catch you up to speed real quick, uh, Paul and Silas, they are, they've been arrested. Um, this is the beginning of their second missionary journey um, in, in Philippi, and they have just been arrested and they're in jail. Okay, I'll, I'll catch you up to speed a little more in just a second, but you just need to know that they're in jail. And, and here's what the word, the word of the Lord says. Starting in verse 25, chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prisoner, the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and all your household. 
And they spoke, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Amen. I'm titling this message, Don't Waste the Rot Banana. Don't Waste the Rot Banana. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I again, I just, I'm, I'm so thankful for your word. And Lord, I'm just praying that, God, you would get all glory here. That, Father, that those that are here, Lord, would leave here thinking more of your glory, your majesty, and the cross than they did coming in. Jesus, help me to make the gospel plain. Help me to keep my finger on this text, Lord, and hold the word high because, God, your word does the word. And so please, Holy Spirit, do what it does. Illuminate this text for us. Help us to see it. Help us to sink down into our hearts that we lead transform, we lead change. Father, help me. The next, this, this weak man up here, Lord, I pray you fill me now with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about most of you, but I'm a stickler when it comes to food being out of date. Okay? Like, bad. Like, to the point where this annoys my wife, it annoys my children, because I'm always opening up the refrigerator, and I'm always looking at the expiration date, and it, it's even close. Like, I'm talking, like, two days, you know, and it's going to be expired. I just won't have anything to do with it. I just, I'm, I'm just weird, okay? I see something ahead, and I was like, yeah. And, and I know they put the expiration date on there. It's kind of funny, because people are like, oh, it can, it can survive, like, a week after I'm like, you are a sick individual. That is not, that's not okay. Like, I, I, I mean, I'm serious, I'm weird. And I'm looking at, like, bread, and I'm smelling, I'm like, hey, baby, is this, is this mold? Is this mold? You know, I'm just weird. So, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, because this wasn't that long ago. I remember when I opened up our freezer, our freezer door, and to my disgust, I see these rotten, Bananas, like these black bananas in our freezer. And yes, yeah, some of your head know where I'm going. And I'm like, what in the world do we have nasty black rot bananas? Not just they're rot, but now we're freezing them. What is this, Laura? Like, is this some weird homeschool experiment that you're going to do? You know, like, why do we have this? And a lot of you are like, really, you don't make. Yes, I don't make. Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> so most of you know, though, that you have rotten bananas because it's the primary ingredient in what? Banana bread. Banana bread. All right? It's the primary ingredient. Um, and it's, it's crazy when I think about that because it's like something so gross. Like a rotten banana is gross. It's like a, you need it that way. You need it that texture. You need it that way to get this beautiful piece of banana bread. And now it's like, it's crazy to me. I'll walk into the kitchen, right? I'll walk into the kitchen, and there's these nasty bananas, and I'm like, ah, and then I'll, a couple hours go by, and then I'll walk in again, and there I am hiding in, oh, a fresh, 
beautiful piece of bread butter on it, and it's just like, oh, this is great. And so I tell that because you're like, what does that have to do with Acts 16? It actually has a lot to do with Acts 16 because we find the same way that God is actually using a dark, kind of, you would think, this is kind of messed up, we're in prison, like, situation where you're like, what, what good is this? It uses this dark, gross, messed up situation to turn around. God transformed this to be a one of the most amazing gospel encounters where literally a church now is going to be born and a whole family is changed. And so my sermon is actually in the sentence, so again, this is the part where you can write it down and you can check it out. No, but uh, my sermon in the sentence is, is that God may use your current trials, big or small, big or small, to be an opportunity to advance the gospel. And so I hope with the power uh, of this text and showing you uh, this text, my, my aim is to help empower you to be ready for the trial and to turn your trials into an opportunity for worship and evangelism. Um, and now I I know I might have be, again, losing some of you because like, Ren, like, uh, trials, like, I, I'm not... I'm not going through a big trial right now, but I'm going to hold it. We all go through minuscule, weird trials in the simple, broken world all throughout the day. Like, for example, you, you could get a flat tire, right? You could be over at uh, Walmart and, you know, and, and you open your door and sure enough, you're getting the person next to you. All right, kids, you could have a ton of homework. Uh, or you just wrecked your bike, you wrecked your bike, and now it's wrecked. So there's small, I don't know these are small, small trials, but we run into small little trials. But I've also heard you're one of three people. You're, you're someone who uh, just got out of a trial. So you just got out of a trial. Uh, or you're about to go into one. Or you're currently walking through one. And when I when I take a poll of people, I say, yeah, that's probably most of the truth. You know, they're, they're, you're in one of these three categories. So don't check out. And again, I hope to empower us as we as we hit these valleys, as we hit these trials, to help maybe have a fresh perspective as we look at this text. So briefly, though, I want to give you some context uh, and uh, why Paul and Silas and how Paul and Silas got into this predicament. So we're in the Book of Acts. And the book of Acts, oh my goodness, is probably one of my favorites, right? It's an amazing book where now the Holy Spirit has come upon the, 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 the apostles and now they're, they're sent out. They're sent out and literally they're continuing what Jesus has done. And, and, and we're in Acts 16, uh, 6 to 10, again, Paul and Silas are the beginning of their second missionary journey. And you look at the beginning of Acts 16, it's very interesting. It's, it's really interesting because what's happening is Paul and Silas are like, oh, we should go here. And God's like, no, no, no. And oh, we're going to go here. And God's like, no, no, no. And he keeps kind of changing their direction. And finally, Paul gets this amazing vision. He gets this, uh, he gets this vision to go to Macedonia. And he's like, okay. So they head to Macedonia to, and the first place they land is a is a is a Roman colony, Philippi. And what do we know about Philippi is it's a place untouched with the gospel. And they encounter their first three encounters of people is so amazing. 
So the first place, the first person they encounter, and this is in verses 11 through 15. So they get to Philippi, and they go up to a riverside. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense, because when I normally see Paul, doesn't he normally go to a synagogue? Doesn't he go into a city, and he goes to the synagogue and starts teaching? Well, yeah, but again, this is an untouched place with the gospel. And so there wasn't even enough men. There wasn't even enough men to have a synagogue in Philippi. So what you have is a group of women out by a riverside, you have out by a riverside, and they're in prayer. They're in prayer, and 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 they're they're God fearers. So they they know that this Jewish God, and they're God fearers. But there's no Jesus. There's no gospel. There's no new covenant grace. And so they're they're lost. They're lost. And Paul, man, I love this. Paul starts sharing. And, and, and then what we find, and this, this verse is so amazing, what we find is that in Acts 16, 11 through 15, it says that God opened, God opened up Lydia's heart to what Paul was saying. See, God was orchestrating this, and because he loves to save sinners, and he, it was what God was doing in Lydia. So you have this amazing, and Lydia's transformed. Her heart's transformed, and Lydia was a woman of purple goods. So that means, what does that mean, right? Like, that she would have been rich. So think, you know, very wealthy, and she bands all, she's transformed with the gospel. So you're like, oh, this is a great start of a missionary journey, right? Like, God's leading, okay, yeah. But then, next day, a couple days later, Paul, you know, we're continuing on. This is, starts in verse 16. Paul is, you know, just going along his way, Paul and Silas, and they're being followed. They're being followed by a demon-possessed slave girl who's a fortune teller. Okay, and at first, like, they're, they're just allowing this demon-possessed slave girl to follow him. And, and finally, though, <laughs> this, Paul, he just gets annoyed. He just gets annoyed. And he just says, he turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, he rebukes the demon. And, and this, this girl's heart and life is transformed. And, and but, and then this is where the tables begin to turn. So you're like, this is great. But then her owners are ticked off. And why would they be ticked off in this culture? Because she's a demon-possessed fortune teller, and they were getting money. They were getting money from this girl, and now they have no, they have no room for um, income. And so they bring it before the rulers, they bring it before the magistrates, and man, they're just like, hey, these people, these men are disrupting our city. The magistrates, these rulers, this group of the chief rulers, the people who are governing the life of the community, they're like, all right, let's have them arrested. Let's start beating them. And they, they, they strip them and they beat them and then they put them in chains into the inner cell. And the inner cell would have been the worst place possible. The inner cell is like this cell in the middle where literally like all the other cells would have been up and so all the human waste and stuff would have been getting down in the, in the midst of this inner cell and the shackles, how they would have been shackled would have been so messed up. They would have been hung up barely and their backs would have been hitting the ground. It would have been the most uncomfortable position ever. So, 
This is how we find, this is where we find Paul and Silas at the beginning of their second missionary journey. And I draw all that out because the context is really important. Because the first way we can be empowered and ready for the trial, the first way we can be empowered and ready for the trial is know that your obedience to God might lead you to the trial. Your obedience to God might be what leads you to a trial. You see, Paul and Silas, listen, what were they doing? They were just being faithful to the gospel. They were being faithful. They were saying, God, yes, thank you for this vision. We're stepping out in faith and we're moving forward. And, and they're just sharing their life. They're sharing the gospel. And in the midst of sharing the gospel, that leads them to a trial. See, I, I think we need to dismantle this heresy in our day that says following Jesus is a life of luxury and safety. You know, I, I, I love C.S. Lewis and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I love the part where Lucy's like, oh, and he's the safe lion. Aslan's the safe lion. The beaver quickly comes in and says, oh, honey, he's not safe. He's good, but he's He's not safe, as if to say, God, God's glory and majesty is great and magnificent and glorious. But if we think following Jesus isn't always a life of luxury and, and ease, then we've got the wrong Jesus. And I, I, I often think, too, what we do is we often link our trials and these pains and circumstances to our sin. Like, I'm going through this because of some sin. And of course, like, I don't think I mean, we can see that some in Scripture, right? Like, the Israelites, they're, they're disobedient, and that leads them to captivity. Um, like, next week, you're going to see in Psalm 32, as we dive into that, that literally, verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 32, David said, like, my bones hurt. Like, literally, it aches me when I'm in sin. Like, there are legit consequences to our sin. But I often think we... We just go there and we don't really think, but no, that Jesus actually might be leading, God might be leading us in a way to step out in faith for the glory of his name. And because of the glory of his name, you stepping out in faith actually might lead you to some hard circumstances. See, instead of always asking, you know, God, why is this pain happening? But maybe a new question to is who you're trying to reach in the midst of this pain. See, uh, you know, again, Paul and Silas were probably not thinking this is how I would have predicted my first missionary journey. But, you know what I mean? Like, well, uh, it's probably not how I would have ended it. You know, I'm in jail. But one author I was reading is like, imagine Acts 16 from God's perspective. You have a town unreached with the gospel. There's no gospel. You have a group of women that are meeting by the, the riverside. And they're offering prayers, but there's no Jesus. And one particular girl, a woman in there is Lydia, who's a rich woman. And she might be finding all these riches, but there's just, again, no Jesus. And here they are meeting all the time. And there's no Jesus in the midst of their prayer time. And then you have, God's like, and then I see a demon-possessed slave girl 
fortune teller who's been wrongly used for wealthy gain. Such a horrible injustice. And then I see a blue-collar guy, a Roman jailer, who I know he has a family in. This whole family does not know Jesus. And we find later that he's maybe even borderline about to take his life. And I know the circumstances that happens with the jailers just in the prisoner state might lead to that, but there's something there that's missing. And so imagine this from God's perspective. And he's saying, Paul and Silas, I know this might be hard, but I know this, but I am orchestrating this because I am deeply in love with this city. I'm deeply in love with these people. And I'm a God who opens hearts. I'm a God that reaches down. And so Paul and Silas, step out of faith. It's not going to be easy, but you'll see a gospel advancement. And I love what uh, Paul later goes on to write. He later goes on to write to this church in Philippi, and he says in Philippians 1, uh, 12 through 13, I love this, He's, he constantly gets arrested. <laughs> He's just constantly getting under trials and, and, and circumstances, and I love what he writes to, again, this church that's planted with these three incredibly different people. And he says this in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It is for Christ. So I just want you to realize, church family, that we need we need a better we need a better theology of suffering sometimes. And that that again, your obedience, being faithful to the gospel, might lead you into a situation at work where it's like, I'm just being obedient, I'm just trying to love, and I, I'm taking heat. I'm taking heat. I, I'm just trying to be obedient to the gospel. I'm trying to lay down my life and, and keep my eyes on Jesus and, 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 and in my family, and yet there's like heat going on. Rather, I'm trying to be obedient and faithful to the gospel. I want God's will. And you know what God's will might be is say, okay, pack up and go somewhere for the sake of the gospel. And our hesitancy is, well, it might be dangerous, but if our contentment, if our satisfaction is understanding, it's for his name. It's just his glory. And we'll gladly go. And we understand that uh, that Paul and Silas had this deep contentment because my second observation, the second way to be empowered in your trials is through worship. See, when you first read in verse, you know, I love this, 25, about midnight, when you first read this verse and you're thinking they're praying and singing hymns, you're like, oh my goodness, Paul and Silas, is this not a perfect time for like a vent session? Anybody else would have been like, I mean, I mean think about it, you're literally just being obedient and now you're just got beaten and you're, I would have been thinking, oh man, this is just great. You're just being obedient here, God, and now we're, no. What are they doing? They're singing. They're singing hymns. They're singing hymns. And so, I don't know if you've ever been in the midst of a, a, a deep trial or a deep time in your life, a pain or or something, and then you hit your knees, 
and you just start praying, or maybe you're driving your car, and that worship song comes on the radio, and you just start singing, or maybe you just put in some headphones, and you go to that playlist, and you just start singing, or maybe you come in here, and on a Sunday morning, and you just have that weight, and that pain, and that, that all that trial that's going on in your brain, and then you start singing and what happens is all of a sudden something begins to start changing in your heart and, and in your mind and, and, and then you start getting and here's what happens in the midst of pure honest worship. Worship the song that is. This, we're talking about worship the song. There's many types of ways of worshiping glorifying God. We're saying with song is the middle of it is what's happening is the eyes start shifting off of you and they start shifting to the majesty and glory of God. And what might happen is not necessarily your circumstances might not change. Right? You might be singing and these things, and instantaneously it's not saying that, oh, now some of this trial is gone. No, it might, your circumstances might not change. But what happens is you change. You change. And why do you change? It's because the shift. The focus is not no longer on you and the trial and all these things going on, but the glory of God. And the fact that, as we said last week, he's a good shepherd. He is leading. He is there. He's faithful. He's not going to leave you. And so I would just encourage you, just kind of make this sermon a little bit practical for some of us, is that I would encourage you to make a worship in the midst of pain, Worship the Mrs. Payne playlist. And, and I just encourage you to, man, in the midst of, of, of going through something tough and hard, or you, you know, you, you hit something that might just be feeling like you're shackled, to put these, these headphones in and just start worshiping. Just start worshiping because it's really hard to have true, honest worship when we're singing. The gospel, where we're singing about the glory of God, not weak worship songs. Be careful if you if you want some good in, input of like some good worship songs. I air that you guys pick a great worship songs where it's all about the glory of God. But there are some worship songs that stop the glory of you, and that's not great. It's it's not about you. Worship is not about it's about His glory. It's about His Majesty. And so I would just encourage you to create a playlist. That exalts King Jesus and His glory. And we also, though, we also see in the midst of trials, we also see in the midst of trials because others are watching. Others are watching. I love that the prisoners are listening. And you get dive into this Greek word, it's interesting. They're listening as if it's not. You think, oh, they're just like getting through it. Like, people have people listen to me. Like, oh, I just gotta bear through that. Um, the, the, the idea, the, the sense of this word is like a listening with like appeasement, like listening with delight. Like I am like this. They're like they're listening with, ah, oh, this is great. And so Paul and Silas knew that there was others around them too. And so they're like, hey, let's let's see, let's see, let's understand that we can change the atmosphere in this place. And see, I've heard it. I've heard it said that you can be one or two. Um, well, kind of making this up, but you're either one or one or two people Christians. You're either like a thermostat Christian, 
which is good, or a temperature gauge Christian. And uh, there, temperature gauge, what does the temperature gauge do? You put a temperature gauge out, what happens? It just reads the, the heat of the room. So it's like, oh, it's 70 degrees in here. That's what a temperature gauge does. It just reads, it just reads the atmosphere. It just reads the current temperature of a room. And so I think there are a lot of Christians that are like that. And what I mean by that is, like, there's some of us that we we hear something on the news, we're we're, we're at with at work, and we're hearing people talk about the trials and the dark things of the world, and we just kind of say, "Yep, that's the temperature. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of tough. It's just kind of dark. Uh, yeah, just." And we get soaked into this pessimism where it's like. What is going on? Like, do, do we understand that we got the end of the story and about a thermostat, Christian? And what's a thermostat do? It actually changes, right? It's like, oh, it's, you know, it's 80 degrees in here. Let's turn it down. Or it's like, oh my goodness, you know, it's really cold. Let's turn it up. And so the same thing is with the thermostat, Christian. And I really believe Paul and Silas are being. Thermostat Christians, where they're saying, oh, they're not rejecting it. They're not saying, oh, I'm not in jackals. Oh, I'm not in prison. No, they're understanding that the, this is a real situation. And you, yeah, you'll have people who are complaining. Yes, it's impossible to see the news and to see the things that are going on. And you're recognizing that, but you're saying, no, you know what? I'm not just going to read it. I'm not just going to go with the flow because I've got something different. I've got a contentment in my heart that Christ has died and um, he has been risen and he has transformed my life and God is in love with me. So you know what? Yeah, I see that, but the best is yet to come. God's, we know the end of the story. We have hope. And you turn up the heat. So that's what Paul and Silas are doing. They're saying, you know what? I understand that I'm chained to you. And this, this stinks. Like, I'm chained to you. And you're chaining me, but you know what? I'm chaining you, and that means you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and I've got a perfect time now to share the hope that I have, prisoner. And so I'm just start singing. I'm just start singing. And so I would ask you, you know, really, who has God put you around to? Like, who are you chained to? Because again, people are watching. Again, I said this a couple weeks ago that something one of my professors said this semester that's just been riveting me is that your life is always on trial for the gospel. The things we say, how we act, and that doesn't mean we ignore pain and just, well, I know, I know, this is all great. But we search and we know we have a deeper commitment. And that's what we're going to see that when we we're reacting out of a deeper commitment in Christ that it actually leads to change when people are looking on. And it says, my third observation of being empowered in your trials and understand it could be used to share the hope you have in Jesus. See, what happens to their singing and praying? What happens? I love this. An earthquake. I'm always like, man, how awesome would that be? Steve, you ever think about that? It's like, oh, I just want to shake the chain. But anyway, there's like an earthquake that happens. Okay? And, and, and the earthquake happens in the prison. And it just, just knocked down the jail cell. But they're prisoners. All the prisoners are 
They're set free. And but we find ah, that the Roman jailer, he sees this, the Roman jailer, and then he's he sees this, and as a Roman jailer, you have to understand losing your prisoners. Okay, this was a very prideful, honorable job. And to lose your prisoners, you might as well just like, it's a huge, huge shame. And so it's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take my life. But what's so amazing is Paul and Silas, they're still there. And get this, the text they also say that the other prisoners are still there. And so they just Paul and Silas say, Stop! Stop! We're here! Don't kill yourself. We're here. And any time, by the way, too, that I, I, I mentioned that there's a text that says um, someone's about to end their life, I never want to assume either. Like, if you have ever felt the darkness of what this man had felt, the darkness of making a permanent decision on something that isn't necessarily permanent in your life, let me just again proclaim that there is always hope. Don't make a permanent decision on something that's not currently permanent. So there's hope here. And Paul inside says, there's hope. Stop, don't harm yourself. I mean, again, the, the prison doors were open. They had their they had their route out. I remember a couple of years ago, remember anybody remember this like El Chapo? Remember this crazy prisoner who got out and the fact that they dug a mile long tunnel to get this guy out? No one remember this? Like they dug this mile long trench to get this famous, just crazy evil man out of prison. And could you imagine digging this mile long tunnel? At the end of digging this mile long tunnel, he's just like, nah, not today, man. Like it's actually pretty good in here. It's like, what? No, you would jump out in the heart. You would think Paul and Silas and the rest of the prison would just leave, but he understood. They understood this man is in desperate need of grace. And where grace wasn't, this man didn't deserve grace, and where grace wasn't deserved. I mean, this man had literally been the one that probably shackled him up, had probably had his hand in beating him. And so they probably would have just been like, again, a normal human reaction, yeah, 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 and then hit the board. But no, they knew that grace, well, grace wasn't deserved. Grace needed to be extended. Now, what happens is so powerful because the man sees this. This Roman jailer sees this. He sees this and he's like, he asks one of the most important questions anybody could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And get this. This is post-earthquake. So the earthquake happened. Okay? The earthquake happened. He's about to kill himself. And then he notices Paul and Silas reaching out saying, don't do that. As if to say, grace extended is more powerful than, a, than an earthquake. And I want you to understand something. When we talk about, listen, when we talk about reaching or being sent to love making and in nations, like, oh, there, you know in the back of this jailer's mind, he understood Paul and Silas' life. He had heard the story about Lydia. He had heard the story about this 
this, this demon-possessed slave girl. And so he saw their life. And yes, when it comes to evangelism, yes, when it comes to sharing the hope we have, we need our lives always on charge of the gospel. We need to understand that we need to live a life that is that is beautiful, that, that is in service and all about the sharing of the gospel. But there's so there's there's the life aspect, but then there's also the word. Because the jailer is going to say, What must I do to be saved? And now we're going to actually speak the word. We can never stop our evangelism with just our service, with just our life. Yes, people are going to see our life and say, man, what, what, you know, they should see it, believers as we interact with one another and as you're loving your family and as you're, you're, you're how you treat your business and, and see your life and say, what in the world? Like, I want to kind of know, what do you have? What must I do? And, and I kind of want to know. And so that's one part. Don't stop. But then you're also called to speak. No one comes to faith without the proclamation of the word. And so that's what we find next is that they're, they're actually proclaiming. Their answer is one of the shortest gospel presentations. And that's the beauty of the gospel. <laughs> They said, what did they say? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They did not say, well, I'm glad you asked. Sit down. Let me tell you something. You got to first go to a church, and then actually, you got to stop beating people. All right? You got to stop beating people. You got to stop hitting me and put people in jail. And then you got to go to church, and then, oh, you've got to get this ESP study Bible, and you got to just be really, you know, Smart and reformed, and you know, oh no, they said, Believe, believe in the Lord Jesus. Guys, the more we add to the gospel, the more we distort it. I don't know if you remember that chocolate milk illustration I did. Chocolate milk's really good, I know this is corny, but it's really good because it's got one ingredient chocolate, Hershey's syrup. The gospel is beautiful because it's so, it's faith. It's faith in Christ. And the Lord said, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, oh, it's this, it's this, this. We distort the gospel. And so they give the purity of the gospel and they say, believe. Believe. And, and this word believe is so powerful. It's not just like this head knowledge, but this actual like sit down and I, I often use this illustration where um, let's say I bought that chair up I mean imagine that chair if I said to that chair oh chair uh, I believe that you can hold me oh chair you've got red nice cushioning and it looks like you're well constructed with four legs and I believe you can hold me and I believe now, if I said all that, would you say I'm actually exercising belief in that chair? No, why? Because I'm not actually sitting in the chair. And so both sides for like, believe. And this word believe is like not just, guys, again, it's not just like, oh, we believe about Jesus, we believe something about it, but it's actually sit down, it's actually fully rested, it's actually fully fall upon, and you see that this man does this, actually the conversion and repentance happens because what happens to the man? 
The same man that was beating them and hurting them, what happens? He brings them into his home and he washes their wounds and he puts a table before them. You can you you just know that change has happened, and that's guys, this is what happens. If we say, like, we believe in an amazing gospel and we believe it and we're sitting in it and resting in it, it should start changing you. The gospel transforms you. It moves you. It starts, you start sitting less and less and less and you, you should better work in the power of the Holy Spirit. We grow in Christ's maturity. I was thinking about this as a, you know, this idea of transformation. And I mean, think about how silly this would be if I said, okay, guys, you know, hey, I, you know, it's 930. Let's say it's not actually, let's say it's 930. I'm not here. You're like, what the heck? Like, where's your And like, you're all like, Titus and you're like, what do you know, what do we do? Like, uh, who's preaching? You know? Yeah, yeah, Stephen's here. Great. You know, Stephen, you're on. But no, then I come rushing through the back door. And I'm like, God. You know, like rushing through. And I'm like, God. Sorry, guys. Sorry. You know, I just had a baby. You know, and because I just had a baby, I was a little bit late getting up. And as I was late getting up, I was just kind of like so tired. I was actually thought the church was on the other side of town. So I was actually going that way. And, uh, you know, I stepped across the highway and a big Mack truck going eight miles an hour hit me. Yeah, it just hit, smoked me. Uh, yeah, it just took me out, and uh, so, so I'm sorry I'm here. I, that, that happened, and now I'm sorry I'm here. You guys would look at me and like, for friend, you're either delusional, uh, you, you just dreamt that, or that did not happen. Because if that happened, you would be walking different, right? <laughs> You would you would look a little bit different, you know. Your hair, you wouldn't be having all nice tucked in. Like you would look different. And I know that might be a silly illustration, but I think about this. We believe in this powerful, amazing gospel where we're saying God came in incarnate, like Christ actually came, and He fills the covenant. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. That you couldn't live the life. We couldn't, we couldn't live up to our end of the covenant. And so Christ comes, he lives a perfect life, the life we could have lived. He took our sin, not just your past sin, but your future sin. He dies for it. He, he, he's buried and then he, he's risen to conquer, to cleanse it, and now to fill you with new life and intimacy with God. We believe in this amazing thing. And so it that power should Change it should put it change in our heart as if this same thing that happened to this man. And, and I just want you to think about it. This all happened again because Paul and Silas were not soaking in the fact that they're in prison, they're not sitting here and thinking, Thanks, God, for leading us here. But they understood God is sovereign. He is sovereign and he is moving people. 
weeps because he is hungry to save sinners. All types of them. Lydia, a rich ruler, a slave girl, and a blue-colored Roman jailer. As if to say, there is not a type of person that is outside of the realm of the gospel. But remember, Paul and Silas were trusting in the God that was holding this. They were trusting that God, I, I'm just trusting I, I, I'm not necessarily liking the fact that I'm getting beat on and this is happening, but my soul's content in you. I'm resting in you. I'm treasuring you. And then a whole a whole church is born out of that. Philippi is completely transformed. And I was thinking about a way to end this sermon, and I was thinking, you know, I could tell stories. You know, there's so many crazy missionaries. I, I talked about one Jim and Elizabeth Elliot a couple weeks ago. You could go down the line of missionaries who said, you know what, I my life's about the advancement of the gospel, the glory of Jesus. I'm content in him. So that means risk is right, so I'm going. And that might mean I lose face, I lose this 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 thing, and they, they, they might lose this, but they get this beautiful gospel advancement. And I was thinking about, I can do this for do this for but then I was like, there's probably no greater illustration than God using a dark situation to bring about glory and gospel advancement in Calvary. I mean, think about it. Think if you ask the disciples, hey, what was one of the darkest moments of your ministry? What was it like the part where you thought, oh man, what in the world? You're like, man, obviously it was when Christ was arrested and he was being crucified. We all went crazy. And we were, I mean, Peter, like, man, that guy lost it. He was like denying and, and man, Judas, uh, and he went down that way. And it just was a dark situation. And guess whose hand was predestining this? Guess whose hand was in the midst of it? God. This was God's plan. It was God's plan to send Christ to Calvary. It was God's plan because in the midst of, yes, Christ going to the cross, yes, this dark situation at the moment, they kind of didn't understand. God was saying, this is my plan to redeem and restore humanity. This was my plan to bring about now reconciliation because I love my children and I have Children who I want to save and redeem. And so, I would ask you, who's watching you in your pain? And for those who have children in your home, your children are watching. People are watching how we respond to the toughness in this world. And instead of just saying, ah, this is just a rotten Situation. Yes, recognize the pain. Yes, it's okay to mourn and cry. That's why we're a church. Like, man, this is just tough. This is just horrible. Yes, understand it. But this might be the, the it might be a rotten situation in your life that God is actually metaphorically is wanting to change around for forever. It actually might be a situation that God is saying, child, I know this is tough. I know this is a but. I'm doing this, like I'm allowing this to happen for actually your good. 
I'm actually allowing these things to expose maybe some sins in your life. I'm actually allowing these things to happen so you get your eyes and get you on your knees to worship me and how glorious I am. It's for your good and it's also going to be for my Lord because there's going to be some people looking on and watching you and saying, wow, what do they have? What do they have? And then in that moment you can say, well, you want to know? I have the hope of glory. I have an anchor for my soul. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that God, you are good. And that God, you are in control. And we can trust you. And Father, I'm just praying that we would. One, I'm praying that if there's someone that walked in here and they're asking that question, oh, what, what must they do to be saved? I just pray that they would hear your word, that they would believe, they would literally turn from their way of living and put faith in Christ. Because they can't be righteous enough. But Christ is. They're we have said, Lord, I pray that you, but whatever words your Holy Spirit gives you, help them to put faith in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins and new life with you, God. And for other of us, I just pray that if, if anyone is, again, currently going through a trial, Lord, I just pray that you would help us. You would help us to put our eyes on you, just in prayer, through worship, through your word, that God, that you, you're in control. We can trust you as you're leading us. And as you do so, I pray, as the people watch us, Lord, I pray that you would get glory. You would get glory. And the gospel would be advanced. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we come to the time of tithes and offering, and I, I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even <clears throat> beyond their ability. I often say, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's like, we're going to give to God, and I'll just encourage you, if your heart feels stirred to give, maybe even beyond your ability, for the sake of the gospel advancement, then I would encourage you that there's a, there are some books in the back and a, and a little uh, a little picture frame that also explains how to give online. So I would encourage you to do so as your heart is led. But now I invite you to stand as we close with our closing song as well. Amen.
For joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at GraceLakin.com.